0: Hello and welcome to People of Tech with me, Charles Commons, the podcast where I speak to leading figures discussing the current climate and the future of technology in their industries. Along the way, we'll learn more about the people behind the job title and share their thoughts and opinions on their role. In this week's episode... Most people can buy knives over the counter for um, so use of a
1: chopping chopping onions, whatever, uh, those sorts of things. But knives can all, not only are they can they be used for you know, useful purposes, but they can also be ever-used for bad as well. It's the same sort of instance with um, with ethical hacking and the various tools which are released. I mean, the matter is to, to catch a hacker. You have to think like a hacker. I think um, yeah, blockchain is one of those buzzwords which is out there. And ultimately, it, it's going to be a huge disruptive technology, but if we look at the Previous disruptive technologies, uh, the likes of the printing press for mass printing, publication, etc. The internet and um, the blockchain is, is on a level with that and it's, uh, it's been sort of labelled as the assurance revolution.
0: Philip Blake is the country manager for the UK and Europe at EC Council, the world's largest certification body for ethical hacking and advanced information security training. We start this episode with Philip describing his career to date and where his interest in cybersecurity came from. I didn't actually have a traditional route into
1: uh, cyber into cybersecurity, so I didn't uh, sort of do um an infosec degree, or uh, or sort of naturally come up through through those. I actually did a sort of business and economics degree, but uh, always had a, an interest and passion in uh, in all things uh, technology. Um, uh, so I started sort of from university, ended up, so went straight into a database tool and uh, database tool and application development uh, company. I think that's where everything started. So working with um, with different uh, vendors, different companies, and especially with around the uh, development tool side of things uh, secure coding was uh, was something in which I came across uh, came across quite regularly in the uh, in the companies that I uh, that I worked with and um, so if we couple that with um, I did a little bit of uh, training with the Royal Marines Reserve so I was very keen to sort of become a reservist uh, unfortunately um, that didn't uh, the time pressures of uh, what they needed from me and um and what my job required of me as well didn't uh, didn't quite marry up. Uh, that coupled with that, um, everyone who seemed to be uh, going through the going through the process to get their green beret was um, the, some of the hardest group of people that I uh, that I've ever met. But um, so the natural transition for me would, was to uh, sort of, if I wanted to work in security was to um uh, what was the transition into um into the cyber security uh, side of things and um you know, the way that it, everything has panned out so and that sort of slight uh, sort of little bit of military training that i had you know, we're, we're seeing sort of a new world order emerge so we're transitioning from uh, kinetic weapons uh, and into sort of what is um, yeah, cyber warfare and um, yeah, cyber security has sort of shifted the uh, shifted the new new world order and um, is one of the one of the fastest growing industries so that was sort of my natural progression into um, into the cybersecurity, and sort of where my interest stem from
0: so were you one of these people then that that sort of like to take things apart and fit them back together to to see how they worked or or was it more of a just a uh, I, I like um you know the internet and and things like that and 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 going from there
1: so i come from more of a from a stem background so uh, more specifically sort of the mathematical side of things so um if we if you look at mathematics uh coding those sorts of things uh, they all and um, sort of can can go hand in hand and uh, I think uh, yeah, there's probably various neurologists out there who would, uh, would claim that they all use the similar sort of, uh, part of the brain. So how my brain worked generally lent itself to uh, to cyber security. In terms of um, you know, taking things apart, I was probably much better at breaking them rather than uh, rather than fixing them and putting them back together. But um, which maybe that's sort of why I sort of transitioned into working for a company which promotes hacking, but uh, or ethical hacking. So. But uh, but no, it's um, I mean I, I think um, that's one of the things that uh, the cybersecurity industry has to has to embrace is. Uh, you're taking a uh, looking at uh, a much wider scope of individuals, not just uh, maybe the more technically minded who are coming up, but looking at other industries. So, um, so looking at program managers, project managers, and, uh, and coming from uh, from a STEM background, a businessy background, uh, w- whatever it, uh, w- whatever is uh, is relevant. Um, it's purely because of the the sheer lack of talent that we have uh, across um, across the industry.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's quite fair. I mean, we, we've spoken to quite a few people um, on this podcast uh, series so far. A lot of them have gone through um, you know, cybersecurity uh, degrees or, or uh, diploma courses or, or whatever. Um, but then there are people that, that haven't gone through that channel and have come from a completely different background and, and have just kind of, I, I suppose, found their way into the sector rather than actually going, that's where I want to be from an early age. Um, so there are more people that have done the degree side of things and actually focused on, on getting into this this industry. Um, but taking the broad view of, of having views from different areas of society, I think that's quite important, especially in this day and age, where you don't really know where any threats are coming from who is it that's actually coming out there and deciding that they want to do um cause harm or or just to you know make a nuisance of themselves it's good to have the views of the people that have gone through and been taught the subject but also from those that have maybe just just learnt it as they've gone along as well do you think yeah absolutely and
1: i think there are a number of programs um across or around the world and certainly some in the uk um so there's lots of sort of black hat um hacker rehabilitation programs so yes it is important to go um maybe that uh, or look look at that more formal route of uh, doing a bsc or an msc at university but um obviously some of the most uh, some of the most talented hackers are those individuals who are actually um, yeah, doing the do, doing, or conducting the criminal activity themselves and uh, you show, showing these um, yeah, criminals etc uh, who yeah, that they actually do have a place in society that there are roles uh, within organizations where they can uh, utilize that skill set which they have uh, they have developed um, in the um, sort of on a sort of less uh, less cushier basis is uh, is certainly a, a huge part of it and I know that there are a number of um, government sponsored so I know that the NCA sponsor. Uh, programs, and I know that a number of other sort of privately and privately run companies as well do um, do black hacker rehabilitation events and uh, and processes to push them into sort of roles where uh, they necessarily didn't uh, think that they would uh, fit within uh, within society. So it is um, it, it's a very uh, interesting and di- a diverse in- industry, and um, you know, just being coming from um, sort of a company that, that you know, trains and certifies uh, certifies hackers, it is a um, it is an, it is important that, um, that we do recognise talent from uh, the, the various areas that it's coming from. So not not necessarily just uh, sort of the, the, form, the formalised BSc and NSC route, but uh, but that uh, that rehabilitated um, hacker who um, will probably have more hands on practice than uh, than individuals who've come through that um, come through a university theoretical
0: route. So you work for EC Council, which is the world's largest certification body for ethical hacking and advanced information security training. Um, first of all, can you just explain what ethical hacking is for us, please, Philip, and, and why it's necessary as well?
1: Sure. Um, so, it's, uh, so the term ethical hacking has been, been around for years, and it's, um, it's quite difficult to summarise in a nutshell. Um, but it's essentially using various tools and attack methods that a malicious attacker um, uh, would use to attack your system and to actually audit your internal systems. So the example that we use quite a lot is um, of if we compare it to sort of finance and um, to so you have an internal audit. Uh, and uh, for finance, and then you get externally uh, audited by by a finance company. So if we see your uh, see sort of your hackers as your external auditors, they're trying to breach your systems. Having the internal capability, having an ethical hacker uh, internally to, um, to to check how sort of secure your network defences are, is uh, is the sort of one of the most uh, one of the most important things. Um, in terms of um, you know, why why is it necessary? I think. Uh, anyone who has picked up a newspaper recently has seen the numerous hacks that have, have occurred. Um, so we just take a couple of examples. Uh, the likes of, uh, so, for example, uh, last year, the NHS being, or half the NHS being reduced to essentially a, a pen and paper. Uh, the um, incident with Maersk, where they're... In, uh, essentially their whole infrastructure was completely destroyed and cost them about 300 million dollars so i think in terms of the necessity all of everything uh, is there in terms of uh, a company credibility and in terms of Uh, Sort of attack vectors becoming more uh, sophisticated. Um, These tools are being readily uh, are very readily available for individuals that just takes um, a quick look on on YouTube or the dark web, and uh, and a lot of them are free to uh, free to download. So, in terms of uh, why is it why is it necessary? Um, It's because the uh, the attack uh, and threat landscape uh, has become so vast and it's ever increasing that um, having an uh, having internal capability or having a um, having Ethical hackers, cybersecurity professionals, etc., uh, to be able to remediate the risks that um, the, that the, uh, the companies, individuals are facing, is uh, is of utmost importance.
0: So, uh, the the EC Council are, are training hackers essentially. Is that right? And 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 therefore, you're you're basically getting people to learn how to um, how to do what the criminals do, um, but for the for the benefit of organisations that that are. Your clients is that right sure, so I suppose the I mean the mantra is to to catch a hacker, you have to think
1: like a hacker, um, so in order to be able to protect a, your system, so if you're utilizing the tools which the hackers will be using uh, to, to test your systems to test your network defenses and and those sorts of things, test your uh, web applications, test your devices, uh, then ultimately you're going to be in a much safer position than um, then just setting up a network if you set up a defense uh, your your very your defenses and don't test them then ultimately you're not necessarily you're you're never you're not going to know until you're you're breached uh, so yes we are training um individuals within uh, various companies on uh, in the skills of ethical hacking so that as and when they um they are attacked they understand how maybe how the attack is breached how to shore up their defenses and ultimately to ensure that their company is more secure than they um the, than they were previously. So in turn, I, we get this question uh, every time about, um, surely you're just adding to the problem. You're creating more, more hackers. Um, but actually we, uh, the, the, the example that we tend to use is, so if you, if you, if you, you most people can buy uh, knives over the counter for, um, so use of uh, chopping, uh, chopping onions, whatever, uh, those sorts of things but you know, knives can all, not only are they can they be used for you know, useful purposes but they can also use be, be used for bad as well it's the same sort of instance with um, with ethical hacking and the various tools which are released so um, if you come out with a brand new penetration testing tool which is meant to be sort of revolutionary if that that can also be used for nefarious activity as well We believe in the greater good of individuals so if we can create a scenario where there are more uh, good hackers, good network defenders, good t- uh, penetration testers, and there are um, and then there are individuals who are sort of going to go down the black hat route, and then we're in a, a much stronger position as a as a society to remediate against the risks of um, uh, of, of hackers.
0: So can you tell us about some of the training modules that EC Council actually uh, have?
1: Yes, yeah. So we have um so we have a number of uh, trainings, so I think we have about sort of 40 um cybersecurity trainings and uh we also have a, a digital transformation arm as well, so it's um, which uh, sort of leads towards the more of the uh, the blockchain side of things. But just to sort of cover off some some of the um, the, the, the cybersecurity um, side of things. So obviously, what we are most famous for is our certified ethical uh, hacking certification, and um, so you pretty much cannot pick up a cybersecurity job spec uh, without uh, without that that being on it. And um, but um, uh, we also have um, sort of yeah, two other courses. So if, uh, one which sort of lends itself to uh, GDPR are we have our a certified hacking forensics investigator so previously uh, there was um uh, there was no uh ballpark time that it uh, that a company needed to remediate a hack and if we look at we uh, look at the, the example of yahoo where they lost um you know a billion uh, I think about a billion credentials of their um or, or pretty much their entire database of um of usernames passwords etc it took them about uh, you know, two three years to work that out uh, that they had actually lost uh, more than they uh, more, more than they uh, more than they previously thought and so that's so we have that sort of forensics investigator which with gdpr we now have 72 hours uh, to to report the hack and explore um, you know just how deep uh, the hackers have gotten just how much data uh, had been stolen and um, we also have sort of leadership courses as well. So we have a, a certified chief information security officer. So there's a, it's, not a, it's not an infosec certification or qualification it's a, it's a leadership course so I mentioned earlier how the um, board level used to be used to leave it oh it's just an IT it's an IT thing it's an IT uh, we'll leave it to the IT guys we now actually having um, a, in a position where the head of IT security has been may have had zero board level experience has been thrust into this position of, of power where they are reporting into um, or they are sat on the board and what do the board what are the board interested in they're interested in return on investment they're interested in cost and, and these sorts of elements which um, previously uh, the head as a IT, head of IT security, they would have received a budget and they would have had to work with that. Now they find themselves actually pitching for um, for how to. Uh, you know, pitching for budget to ensure that uh, they can become they can sure up the uh, that particular uh, company as best they possibly could, um, and actually those two certifications which I've just mentioned. So we had some fantastic news last night. They've just been added as a um, as a baseline certification for the Department of Defense workforce uh, across several categories. So that's the um, you know, the sort of caliber of training that we um, that we're coming out with. So um, essentially, our trainings cover from end user level all the way up to uh, up to Sea level, and uh, and yet that's um, that, that doesn't include the um, the, the digital transformation. Sorry, that the digital transformation side of things.
0: I'm interested in, in the kind of customers that you actually have, uh, or the EC council have, but. Also, uh, what are the type of people that actually take those courses? Do, do they have to already have some sort of qualification to be able to then go on to one of your training modules? Or could anyone with an interest, could, could I, for instance, just decide, right, actually, I'd quite like to learn about that. And, and here's my money and I'll, I'll do the course
1: sure so um, we'd have different levels of course um courses so one of the more popular ones or certainly the end the end the end user level um so having lots of discussions with a, a number of um, large organizations where they understand that they need to um, deliver end user training but how can you how do you tell how can you tell that um, a lot of end user training just to sort of do the the check box, is um it, it'll be a lunch and learn For an hour, but how do you know that those individuals aren't sat there doing their uh, working on WhatsApp, doing their emails? How do you know that they're paying attention? You don't. So we actually have an end user certification as well. Um, So in terms of uh, could anyone sit that uh, sit that training? Yes, the end user stuff, of course they can. But the more advanced uh, side of things, so sort of ethical hacking, um, we have a a full track. um, So a a penetration testing track, a network defence track, a forensics investigator track. which uh, I think does require just uh, require more knowledge but um, you know, there are individuals who have who have done the self study so they've sort of come up um, sort of maybe sort of doing a bit of self study on the networks and things like that but uh, but then they uh, they sort of come come to us once they've sort of get attained maybe a year or two I've done a bit of self study for a year or two of uh, on uh, networking those sorts of things and um, you know once they understand um, sort of you know, cursory level of um, of, of network segmentation these sorts of things uh, they um they're able to sort of come to, to sit the likes of our sort of our core offerings like our uh, certified network defender course or our certified ethical hacker course and uh, and then they can progress into um, down the forensics route down the penetration testing route or uh, or down uh, down the network defense special um, specialism route so there's um uh can you come in completely green with zero knowledge um if you were looking at the end user level, yes, absolutely. But um, for the more uh, more advanced stuff, it is uh, it is good to have uh, a grounding in, uh, in IT.
0: Time for a short break now, but when we come back, I'll be talking to Philip about blockchain and the state of the current threat landscape. Content marketing
1: is, it's our obsession.
0: Consumers are always being bombarded with content.
1: So white papers, mostly
0: they are used, I guess to persuade people. When you're refreshing content, really you're updating it.
1: Go through your notifications every day and respond to people that are connecting with you. We've seen a real fundamental shift in that dynamics of marketing over the last 10 to 15 years. Tech Demand Weekly, the weekly podcast for marketing professionals. Now they know that I'm not just playing the sport for fun, I'm watching the scoreboard. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. I'm talking to Philip Blake of EC Council and before the break, Philip explained where his interest in cybersecurity comes from and the work that he and EC Council do in the world of cybersecurity. To begin the second part of the podcast, I wanted to get Philip's thoughts on blockchain and why, if it's such a good thing, don't we see companies such as Apple integrating it into their systems? Okay,
1: so there's <laughs> there's a number of answers to this, and um, I, I think the um, you know, blockchain is one of those buzzwords which is out there, and ultimately it's um, it's going to be a huge disruptive technology. But if we look at so the the previous disruptive technologies, uh, the likes of the printing press for mass uh, mass printing, publication, etc., the internet, and um, the blockchain is is on a level with um, with that, and it's uh, it's being sort of labeled as the assurance revolution so we're at a very uh preliminary stage in the in the, in the blockchain development and uh, i know you mentioned apple there um but um all of these all of these large companies will have little pockets of projects within their organization and will have Um, a team looking at uh, how blockchain can be applied to um, these organizations. So in terms of Apple, I I know that um, that if they were to sort of uh, adopt blockchain in in the form of their... in their, in their products. And, um, I had, um, I think there, there were whispers, uh, of, very, uh, of them sort of doing implementation. I think they uh, published a patent in 2017 around it. So there, there is, or um, towards the tail end of 2017. So I'm sure that they, you know, again, Apple has their, their whole secrecy around the, around launches and things like that. So I am sure that they do have a team uh, beavering away at the, uh, in the background somewhere. But if we look at some of the larger organizations who, um, uh so we're in, uh, proactively adopting uh, blockchain technology uh walmart merck uh, fedex u p s british airways um so there was a you know basically there was a, what, why are they why are they doing this and a lot of people sort of think here blockchain they think bitcoin uh they and a lot of people, there is that association with criminal activity but the underlying technology behind it actually has um, huge cost savings. So I'm going to answer um, sort of why, um, sort of why so many, you know, why it's become such interest with large companies, and then also um, sort of why they p- haven't necessarily implemented it uh, in full just yet. So um, in terms of the, you know, the cost savings, so these behemoth companies, especially, so they will have uh, individuals who are doing. Um, sort of trying to lean up their operations constantly, trying to make their EBITDA look as uh, look as good as possible as it can do for their um, for their investors. But in terms of the savings which the, which blockchain technology can, um, you know, from I think there was a an Accenture study, and so the savings are um, sort of in some in some instances well over fifty percent a year. Now, if you think of that as your sort of supply chain cost base, that is that is vast, especially for some of these large uh, these large companies, but. The difficulty or the element which is makes reduces that cost saving is that the implementation costs of blockchain. Reduce that fifty percent down to about thirty percent. So, in terms of yeah, percentages and the implementation costs for these large companies, it's huge. So, in before they do mass a uh, mass adoption, mass implementation, they have to make sure it is right because in ter- having the having the right individuals, having the right structure, having the right format of um, and how that blockchain technology fits into their. Um, into their strategic, uh, into well, into strategically and uh, you know, uh, across the uh, the various sort of facets of um, of the company is um, is extremely important. So um, it's you know, this has all sort of come uh, in recent years, but I th- in think in we're over across 2019 2020, we're going to see um, a lot more mass adoption, a lot more companies, and uh, and ultimately, what um, if we look at the internet? Um, if we look at the um, billions of u- end users that we have, so when the internet started, there are individuals who who poo pooed it, said it wouldn't come to uh, to anything big. But and if you sat someone down and, uh, currently and said to them. Um, do you, could you tell Could you tell me how the internet works I'd say a lot of them couldn't and I think we're going to end up in a similar sort of uh, in a similar situation with blockchain where um, we can where the general public and individuals can say yes what are the benefits of blockchain oh well there's huge cost savings can you tell me how it works absolutely not and I think that's what we're going to have with or uh, well, that's the, the message which needs to be conveyed um, across um by large corporates and to uh, to consumers, to those end users and uh, and to their to their client bases as well. So we're going to we're going to see blockchain uh, blockchain. Well, it might, again, a prediction that I think. Um, there's uh, billions have been invested in. I think we're going to see further billions in, in invested, um, but um, but ultimately, yes, it may not be a complete public knowledge about the what these large companies uh, are doing and how much they're investing. But um, I think in, within the next couple of years, we're going to see mass adoption of, uh, of blockchain technology. And part of the reason it hasn't been uh, hasn't maybe necessarily occurred is uh, is simply because um, simply because of the, that implementation cost is just so
0: great. So I want to have a, a quick look back at sort of the, the, the hackings that have happened over the last couple of years or so. Um, are there any trends that you've sort of witnessed in relation to those those successful hackings we've been told about?
1: Sure. So um, in terms of the successful hacks, I think um, if, we, if we look at it from... It's sort of a three three perspectives. Uh, the first perspective being sort of a government level. So we see uh, state-sponsored hacking, these sorts of elements. Um, so we look at sort of the um, breaches or the, the Russia meddling in the in the in the U.S. election um, on a on a sort of state-sponsored hacking level. We also have uh, the you know, the question of where uh, the what, the wanna cry uh, came from, which um, sort of helped to bring down, uh, bring down the NHS uh, for a time. So, it's um, you know, if we look at the state-sponsored um, hacking side of things, we're seeing increasing levels of activity coming from, um, and uh, I don't want to say that it's just, um, it's just coming from. And from the likes of Russia, from the likes of North Korea, but um, but ultimately we we we're in in a situation where um, you can have um, you, it's not about sort of having the biggest nuclear weapons, it's not about having uh, who's got the intercontinental ballistic missiles which can um, which can yeah, fly the furthest. Uh, it's about having who's got the most clued up cyber team because if you uh, if you're able to sort of breach national infrastructure, if you're able to breach or hack into say um, a nuclear silo or something on those lines, um, ultimately you're going to have control over over what is um, uh, over the actual kinetic uh, kinetic weapons so on a um you know with the increase of state sponsored hacking um we're also seeing cyber weapons become readily available to hackers so um the likes of i think um there was a joint consortium of the us and israeli uh forces managed to sort of reduce um iranian uh, nuclear uh, the the iranian nuclear uh, power scheme to about 20 or they brought down about 20 percent of the Iranian nuclear power scheme now um that's tool which was utilized was hacked and stolen and now um, i think that on the last count it was over 100,000 machines which that um cyber weapon can be launched from um so we're seeing attack vectors become increasingly Uh, more sophisticated Um, and I'm sure over the next few years and we go back to that anything which can be used for good can also be used for bad so as in as artificial intelligence is reduced introduced as uh, machine learning is introduced uh, it's not only going to benefit the good guys and those trying to protect themselves it's also going to benefit the 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 uh, the bad side of things Uh, another thing that we have um I've see, I've seen is uh, sort of increased um, internet of things attacks so um, whether they're the internet of things so those um, sort of smart devices are being harnessed to launch an attack so something called a denial of service attack where you flood uh, flood information at a, at a website or something along those uh, something along those lines and um, or whether the, uh, the that individual element is being uh, is being breached so sort of smart TVs and uh, um, so a um, sort of say a smart um, a smart a, th- a smart thermostat are being breached in order to um, in, in order to sort of leverage um, sort of for example see, putting malware on someone's smart television and saying right well give me pay me a thousand pounds in Bitcoin and uh, I'll uh, sort of yeah, take yeah, take this away or uh, if we're looking sort of more towards a corporate or more sort of. Uh, sort of a grander scale in industrial com- control systems, there are uh there are in, du- in well a sort of industrial heating system. So if we look at say a city like Vancouver where it gets a minus 40 in winter and the the corporate espionage side of things, if you can uh, sort of go on the dark web and find a hacker who can bring down your um who can bring down your competitors or sort of turn off your competitors heating in the midst of midst of winter, the pipes freeze over, that's millions of dollars worth of damage um for, for that that that's um uh, that, you, that your competitor has to incorporate into into their balance sheet And obviously that has ramifications across the uh, across the the organization so we're seeing a sort of increasing more increasingly more of these uh, these sorts of attacks and you know maybe on a on an intellectual property uh, side of things as well um so i think the u s was previously the largest register uh a, a register of patents um and it's now now china and as there are incidents where um a company will be plowing in through years uh, years of um, research and development uh, or thousands of uh, thousands of uh, tens of thousands of dollars into research and development and they come out with this this brand new product and uh, and then sort of just maybe two days before the release a patent uh, it comes comes out in china uh, where uh, their product has been um, their product has been directly copied and that's the um, they've been maybe they they've been hacked there Maybe it's a recipe for a, for a sort of life-giving face cream or something along those lines, and we're seeing increasingly uh, a more, of, a more of that sort of activity. So, um, and that's on, on, a, on a corporate level, on, on a consumer level. Um, I think um, yeah, there's more and more phishing emails, these sorts of things, and the end users really need to be uh, to be more clued up. So, in terms of in terms of the trends, I think uh, we really just have um, an increase in um, a, a huge increase in sort of how uh, in in the level of attacks and also an increased reporting of attacks as well I think since gdpr came in um there 's been whether there's been more attacks or maybe um i don 't think there's been more attacks i think there's just been more companies reporting uh, the attacks i think the uh, you know, the figure stands at about f- we 're up about four since gdpr came in the the figure increased by about four times the amount of reported attacks but uh, I think that 's just companies rather than trying to sweep it under the rug there 's now legislation in place to ensure that they uh, that they speak up about their um their clients data so there are a number of a number of trends and successful successful breaches but um they're going, i think we're going to see the volumes increase we're going to see the complexity increase and um and ultimately there um the the ways in which we are being attacked and uh, and breached are going to become more and more innovative
0: Um, so what, what do you see as being the main threats? You, you, you've talked a little bit there about what we're sort of seeing at the moment in, in terms of the trends within cybersecurity and, and, and hacks and breaches that are going on. Um, but but what, what, what do you think are the main threats today in our current climate? And, and what can we do as, as organisations and, and as individuals to, to protect ourselves against them? So
1: I, I think the main threat is, um, is is our sort of culture. Um so for I think probably since the industrial revolution, we have been um, we've been told that uh, technology innovation uh, is going to make our lives easier. It's going to make our lives faster. And we can you know, we can see that with sort of the likes of um, the rise of the Internet, um, the rise of um, well, I suppose if we go back even go back even further. We see sort of the internal combustion engine. Everyone wants things at the uh, the touch of a button, et cetera. You look at the first uh if you look at the first pcs which which emerged it would take um, hours to load up a load up an image now if we um if we can't if we don't sort of have gigabytes of data at our, our fingertips within a few seconds we um, we get upset and a bit uh, cranky about it but in terms of um in terms of sort of where we are we we need to sort of move away from that cultural perspective where your tech is uh, makes life easier. So where the trade-off is uh, security and convenience, um, and you will, you'll see this throughout organizations um, across the across the world. You'll have um, maybe the client-facing individuals asking for more functionality, asking for further applications, and the security team saying, "No, you can't have this, 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 and this." Um, And you have them saying, but why? We have the capability to do that because it's not necessarily secure. And with uh, companies or with industries becoming more and more open and so you have sort of the likes sort of bring your own device initiatives people working from home and um, certain sort of uh, maybe intellectual property leaving the premises without necessarily being secured, not being encrypted mm-hmm. these sorts of elements and so as we become as we've become more connected we've become less secure and um, so it is a it's a cultural issue where we need to sort of drill it into everyone that um that although you may be able to do this, it's not necessarily secure. Um, so people, we have examples within organisations of having, you know, firewalls and antiviruses set up and, uh, and you know, individuals actually sort of maybe disabling these so that they can go onto certain websites, send a certain email, et cetera, et cetera, which actually ultimately is, is, is to, their, to their detriment. It only takes sort of one uh, one computer to be infected for a whole network to be infected. So these um, yeah, this sort of... Um, uh this sort of culture where the security team is seen as the bad guys who are limiting functionality uh needs to needs to change and ultimately if we um, if we are going to become more secure as a society where it's going to we're going to have to pay put a put a bit of a sacrifice on convenience um and where does that uh, where does that sort of uh, transition into i suppose it's that end user awareness where we need to sort of culturally educate everyone that um Yes, we want to be more secure, and in order to do that, you have to have the mentality and the mindset that um, it's not. Oh, it won't. This uh, we need to dispel this this sort of myth that oh, it won't happen to me. I'm not that important. To actually, yes, it could potentially happen to me, and I want to be as secure as uh, possible and have uh, certain mechanisms in place which will. Um, uh, which can sort of help me remediate against in, against those risks. So that's the, the that's the current climate. And I think the main threat is um are, is is the culture which has which has emerged over 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 recent years. And um, the other I think the other threat is um, are these sort of cyber weapons. Um, I don't think we can necessarily describe uh, describe them as sort of hacks anymore. There are um, sort of government level uh, cyber weapons which have been. Um, Uh, Which have been launched, um, and and ultimately with um, access, with with sort of hackers having access to these to these cyber weapons. So you have um, you have the sort of the whole whole U.S. Department of Defense. uh, I'd say that they're probably about ten years uh, ahead of the trend, uh, and they're sort of and they have sort of some some of the higher security protocols um, that there are. And um, you know they've they've been pumping billions and billions into this. And if we look at their uh, the Department of Defense budget compared to I think it's their, their. budget is larger than the next 10 countries put together now if the department of defense are turning around and saying in the in the Incidents of a sustained cyber attack we would not be able to you know, we would not be able to cope um how can individual companies also how can sort of your individual end user how can small sort of small medium sized and even large companies say that they will be um okay in this and this sort of inc- incidence so it is um we need it's a it's a cultural issue and uh, and those uh, having uh, the threats to ourselves are essentially ourselves uh, and also sort of having um having this sort of ignorance that everything
0: will be okay um, because it's not a case of if you get hacked it's a case of when so what what in your opinion are the basics of cybersecurity that all of our listeners should be implementing at their organizations i think the most important part is that
1: i know this this might come across as slightly patronizing but it's really to use common sense um The little uh, little things which can be done, so sort of keeping software. um, So, if uh, at an end user level, keeping uh, keeping software updated. So, if we look, um, you know, there's there's nothing worse than maybe there's there's uh, there's some of your listeners who are thinking there's nothing worse on a on a Friday than on a Friday afternoon. So, you're about to sort of it's. 459 you're about to shut down your shut down your laptop and it says oh uh it's going to download it's going to take sort of you know about sort of 20 minutes in order for this update to be done before it before it shuts down and you think oh do you know what that's uh, that's 20 minutes of my monday morning sorted so i'll uh, i'll just have to i have to sort it then no actually update it there and then and um, because these those sorts of uh, little software updates etc they all contain security patches and these sorts of elements which are are integral so in keeping um Keeping software up to date is um, is very important, and I suppose some of the some of the other some of the other best practices as well. And um, so following protocols, um, if your cybersecurity team have uh, told you sorry, to use a VPN, they've told you to sort of not take down your antivirus or firewalls, etc. There is a security protocol there for a reason. Um, do not undermine it. Uh, don't um, don't um, go go maverick and start um, because uh, yeah, start using uh, so maybe using USBs or these sorts of things. Um, but uh, one of the for those who are listening, who are maybe sort of at a cybersecurity. Um, at a sort of a slightly more senior cybersecurity level, um, if you look at sort of your IT security policies, um, and and those, or even just an IT policy, most IT policies were probably written in the um, in sort of the dawn of um, computers being introduced uh, to to various companies, especially if they're sort of reasonably sort of old companies, and so a lot of them are coming from sort of like the eighties and nineties where it's just uh, it just says, oh yes, you know, don't um, yeah, don't do this at work, don't do that. It doesn't actually have any security protocols put in it, uh, put in it, but. Uh, incorporating or sort of updating um, IT security policy is uh, is an absolute essential, and I've been into some organisations, um, which, which I won't name, um, <laughs> which um, so you know, some some of the sort of the big Fortune five hundred who um, they haven't updated their. And their their policies in um in, in years and uh, and there's others who uh, who haven't had any awareness training uh, and there's some who are actually almost uh, have updated it on a daily basis and are almost neurotic to the side. So there's there's two ends of the uh, two ends of the spectrum um, that we're uh, that we're looking at. But um, I suppose in sort of uh, in in a sort of very summarized view and to look update update your type security pro, uh, policies and ensure that um, ensure that there is sort of some form of awareness training in uh, in place so uh, whether whether uh, whether it be for um, you know, throughout or throughout the or the organisation, right from sort of the uh, sort of most most junior admin or secretary all the way up to the to the senior level, um, because I think there was a, a very famous instance where it, even the, the CEO of um, CEO of Barclays got fished. So there, it, it can happen; it can happen to anyone. But ensuring IT security policies are in place, and there is a, a good uh, security awareness program, and uh, and ultimately, I suppose that the element which is part of it is um, to keep. Um, you know, please don't undermine. Please don't undermine security protocols and keep. Keep, like, keep everything updated uh,
0: and so finally I, I ask this to all my guests because uh, you, you all work in um, cyber security you, you know an awful lot about the threats that that therefore brings and and, and stuff that we do in our everyday life um, the internet is now a part of that whether you like it or not um, and, and so I always ask how do you switch off <laughs> I don't. Um,
1: I don't think it's something that I can particularly switch off at. Um, so my um, my my family are notoriously bad for um, uh, for sending me phishing links and offers which are from websites which are uh, yeah not not um of a uh, well of a nefarious origin shall we say so it's uh, it's quite difficult for me to switch off especially when my family are actually trying to uh, sort of ensure that my data is leaked which is um yeah quite <laughs> quite worrying considering i've worked in the industry and have told them several times not to uh, not to send me these sorts of uh, links and things that, and, and that sort of thing or not to even click on them themselves so in terms of switching off um, yeah, i think if we go back to my answer about the about having the cybersecurity culture needs to change I, I think i don't necessarily switch off i think everyone else needs to switch on in terms of that cyber uh, that that cyber awareness and being aware of what could potentially happen every time they sort of put in uh, put in a credit card on a um, on a website every time they use a um, every time they sort of maybe you know, use a contactless payment or something on the, along those lines, or set up an account on a website with usernames, passwords, every time they uh, maybe use the same password, which they had for 12 years, for um, it all you know, 27 of their accounts, which they've got written down on an Excel, which they keep on their, doc, on their desktop. So there's, in terms of um, you know, switching off, I don't think, um, I, I think it's my job to sort of, Almost portray, uh, or as a as, as an advocate for cybersecurity awareness. I think it is my role to ensure that I stay switched on in terms of uh, cybersecurity. But um, in terms of uh, how I switch off, I think the best the best place to, thing to do is go to um, go to a far flung corner of a of a Scottish island with no with no Wi-Fi and no reception, and um, and that's the best way to switch off because no one can get you there. So that's um, yeah, that that would be my uh, my answer to that. But um, but unfortunately. In terms of switching off, I'm, uh, I'm always uh, friends, family. Um, it's, uh, it's important that um, that they understand of the, the potential risks of, uh, of their actions. And uh, I don't think there is, I don't think that I, I can really switch off on that front.
0: My thanks to Philip Blake. You can find out more about the training that EC Council provides on their website, eccouncil.org. If you have missed any of our previous episodes with Richard Zalewski, Steve Wright, or Jane Franklin, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any more. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of People of Tech.